0: Hey everybody. Welcome to another episode of Views on View. I'm your host, Lindsey Wardell. With me today is Steve Edwards.
1: Hello from Portland.
0: And Daniel Rowe is our special guest. Welcome, Daniel. Thanks so much. It's a pleasure to be here.
2: Our sponsor today is This.Labs, a best-in-class consultancy specializing in staff augmentation, architecture support, and leadership, and training for startup and enterprise organizations. Find out more at this.labs.com or send us an email at hi at this.co.
0: Daniel, you were on our show on episode 126. I'm not sure what episode we're up to now, but it's been a little while. So welcome back. Thanks. It's uh, yeah, it's a real pleasure. Yeah. Let's just catch up real quick for for those who aren't aware of you. Daniel is somebody who works at Nuxt now. Would you mind talking a bit about that? How you got that new role?
3: Sure. I've just just started. It's been my first week working with the team at Nuxt. I'm working with the framework team, so. Uh, Sebastian and Puya and Clark and, and others. And my focus is is improving uh, Nuxt itself. So looking at how we can drive new changes, innovation, and how we can keep things stable and, uh, and working for, for everybody using Nuxt. It's great. It's something that I, I helped out with and did before from pleasure. So now to have that as what I do day in, day out, is fantastic. So to go down a
1: little rabbit trail real quick, I'm assuming that you initially started to contributing to Nuxt as a volunteer and then sort of worked your way into your current position is that correct? So
3: uh, so my my background so immediately prior to to my current role I was a CTO for a software as a service startup uh, and we built our tech stack on on Nuxt. And so I guess I started helping out primarily to solve my own well I think twofold to solve my own problems uh, partly and and second because I think uh, with open source, you get so much. People are so generous. Um, and the only reason you're using the software in the first place is because of other people's generosity and time. And so I, I always feel uh, an obligation, not in a negative way, but I've benefited so much. Why wouldn't I want to, to contribute back? So I, I got started basically to solve problems that I, I encountered um, or issues that I was facing, but also just because I felt I had benefited, and I wanted to just share that back with the community. And so I, I just helped out, uh, yes, purely as a volunteer until relatively recently.
1: So I guess the point I'm getting at is this is a story that I have heard in multiple places in the open source world where someone... Starts out just helping out, they start, you know, con- helping people with issues or maybe contributing documentation, contributing patches, PRs and so on. And eventually they get noticed and the people on the project say, hey, you're doing a lot and you want to come work with us. So uh, that's, it's just, I just wanted to point out that pattern because it sounds like that's the uh, the road that you took to to actually getting to work for Next.
3: That's, yeah, that's certainly how it's happened, happened for me. And as you say, there are lots of different ways of contributing to a project and making it successful, from, you know, moderating a community to answering other people's questions, to submitting pull requests, docs, code. And Nux as well has a huge ecosystem. So it's not just the framework itself, but there are lots of modules that add functionality and are testing grounds for exploring new ideas as well. So I think at the moment... Just in the last few weeks and months, we're seeing quite a lot of that exploration happening, just sort of at the fringes, and the, and then starting to bring back some of that innovation into the into the core, into Next Core as well.
1: Yeah, I think one the place I always think of when you talk about ecosystem around a particular project seems to be the pattern is awesome something on GitHub. So, like for instance, on GitHub, there's an awesome Next repo that is basically just a listing of the tons of modules and what they're used for that can be plugged into to NUX. I'll plug a link to that in the show notes, but that's what I think, and I think
3: of finding the ecosystem. Absolutely. That's a, a great example. And there is actually a, a module listing as well of, of modules that are designed to, to plug into NUX. So I should mention that too. That would be a good link.
1: Cool. Okay. Anyway Lindsay I just want to go down that rabbit hole real quick and absolutely address that part of the of his yeah. background. Yeah. And um, Definitely one of Nuxt's strengths
0: is its community. There's so much activity going on with the project that helps it continue to develop and grow its ability to to support the developers that need it. So
3: that's awesome. Yeah, it's really exciting. We, we've passed 34,000 stars on, on GitHub, which is always exciting and incredibly.
1: Is that still ahead of React and Angular? Because I remember when Vue passed React and React people said a cake to Evan, I think, or something like that
3: as a congratulations. i I couldn't say to tell you the truth but it's not it's not a contest but it's so we are
0: recording shortly after vue.js amsterdam and there were a number of announcements that that came out around nuxt3 and some new functionality coming to it so i'd like to, to dive in a bit to some of those things and we'll add links to the show notes for the slides that came from the nuxt team including a set of slides from Puya and a, sl- uh, a set of slides from Sebastian, but I just want to talk talk with you about this a bit, Daniel, because there's a lot coming out in Nux 3. So I don't even know where to begin. What's 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 most exciting to you about what's coming in Nux 3? Where where would you
3: start? So that's a that's a difficult question because you're right. There are a lot of different features, uh, different features and technologies and approaches that we are adopting for Nux 3 that you could easily point to. I think one of the things I've been most involved with is Nitro, which is the, the new servering engi- uh, server rendering engine, which is for Nuxt 3. But we are releasing a module to enable this on Nuxt 2 as well. So I've spent some time on that. I'm also obviously excited about the Composition API in general. It's what I talked about when I was last uh, talking to you. And uh, and obviously that's something that, that Nuxt 3 uh, enables too and we're uh, Building new composables and useful features that people will be able to hook into uh, using using the composition API. But you know, there are other things too. So I think developer experience and improving the, the end user experience with a command line interface to Nuxt, I think that's pretty cool. And a lot of I care a lot about developer experience too, probably <laughs> because I am a developer. And, and so some of the, the features that we're sort of working out in the process of figuring out how to build Nux3 and how to enable migration to Nux3 so that people it's not a cliff edge so that it's a it's a so it's that people can migrate their existing apps across. Um, so one of the interesting features that's coming out of that is something called Nuxt kit which will enable module authors to write modules for NUX that work everywhere. So not just on NUX3 but on NUX2 as well. And on future versions of nux as things change and new capabilities are added you don't get a situation where modules become outdated or don't work anymore but but there is this sdk layer that allows allows for for migration and compatibility going forward so i, I was meant to narrow it down wasn't I, to just a couple of things so if i had if i did i'd say i'd say nitro i, I really like i'm really interested by serverless and deployment and Figuring out how to make things fast, so Nitro ticks all those
0: boxes. Yeah, I definitely want to dive into Nitro. I'd like to touch on a few other points before we keep going. Uh, you mentioned Nuxt Kit, which I, I do have a a Nuxt two module up on the on the modules website right now that helps you integrate with your uh, with the GitHub GraphQL API, so that you can fetch data from GitHub and inject it into your website. And as a module author, I'm very interested in this because I'd like to support nux 2 and Next 3. So that's that's a really cool feature to me that there's the tool coming that will support something like that. Kind of reminds me of uh, I think it's a View Demi, which yeah. is just checking to see whether you're on View 2 or View 3 and import composition API methods for the correct environment. Is it something similar to that, or is it
3: more complex? A Vue demi is a great um, library to, to say. I've I've used it myself as well. It, it's, it's it's a challenge to support profoundly different environments like Vue two versus Vue three. NuxtKit is aimed at exposing core functionality, so things that are that you would expect to happen within Nuxt itself, um, and for Nuxt, things you would expect Nuxt itself to expose to modules or to an app running in that environment so so therefore it'll be it'll be useful for module authors uh, primarily i think at the moment if when you when you start building for uh, nuxt for example so at the moment you'll rely on the fact that there's a webpack config you'll rely on the uh, make you might rely on some internals so i was digging out one of my modules the other day and busting it off and improving it only to find that i had a a terrible design pattern, which is that I was depending on some internal files that were present in in Nuxt, but that's not a safe assumption to make. So those kind of things, little gotchas and footguns that might that that seem fine when you build, but then but actually are relying on some internal API that, that there's no guarantee over. That is the kind of thing Nuxt get is meant to replace. So it it basically puts a contract in place between Nuxt and module office saying these are the kinds of things you can rely on. Whatever happens in future, this will always work but for things outside of, of the core of Nuxt. Uh, get isn't going to step over into those, those areas. But uh, but yes, pretty much anything in terms of interacting with Nuxt or making Nuxt do what you want it to do or interacting with the config, that kind of thing, uh, Nuxtget would be your way to do that. Is that going to impact future
0: potential advancements in the Nuxt framework where some functionality that that developers want to implement won't be available anymore because NuxtKit doesn't include that as part of the contract? Or will NuxtKit continue to grow and expand as Nuxt continues to grow as well?
3: So it's not like a frozen slice in time. That's a, a good point. It's not about saying, what can Nuxt do now? It will never do anything more than that. That would be I I wouldn't get very excited about that. But I think it actually enables the reverse. So because, it's, because there's a contract, you can actually add new functionality without. Breaking old modules, um, and you can you can in some cases add new functionality in in clever in clever ways. I and mean, this isn't exactly analogous, but recently we added support for Nuxt to, to work in a dynamic with a dynamic public path or a dynamic content delivery network, so that if you could build your Nuxt at once, but then if you host your server somewhere else or if your content uh, if your CDN changes, you don't need to rebuild everything. It's not baked in. It actually it can be changed just by the server. And there'll be lots of possible, possibly users of Nuxt or maybe even module authors that will benefit from that kind of feature, even if that wasn't something they foresaw when they first built the module. I don't know if that's a great example, but it's that kind of thing that NuxtKit will, will unlock. So in some cases, it will actually mean that modules can gain functionality down the line. All
0: right, so it, so it is very much like an SDK, like if you're building a mobile or a desktop application where this it just provides the contract with the operating system or in this case, just the Nuxt framework. And as that and grows and changes size, the, the contract will change size as well. Yeah, a mobile SDK is a great great example. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's, that's a good one. Cool. Another piece that I was interested in is the integration that Nuxt is going to have with Vite. I noticed that nux 3 will support both Webpack 5 and Vite very interested exactly. in this. <laughs> <laughs> so,
3: well, in, in fact, uh, just recently, we've we've uh, even released a NuxtVit module for Nuxt2. So uh, it is possible to to run a Nuxt2 app on, on Vite as well. And uh, so uh, in terms of at the time of recording, as in right now, the feed module is a development experience rather than a build time experience. So it still processes everything with Webpack when you build it. But the point is to unlock some of the speed of that instantaneous initial load, that instantaneous initial compile for the developer experience, because we like things that are fast. Nuxt 3 is, is, is different. Uh, it's, it's different. It's not, it's not a bolt-on in the same way that uh, the Nuxt beat module uh, is, although I, I suppose all modules have the capability to fundamentally change how Nuxt works, so it's, it's not... But it, but it, it is, it is designed that way from the beginning. So Webpack versus Vite is a choice you can make as a consumer of the project. Um, there may be a modules, Webpack loaders, for example, that you depend on or or use in parts of your application, and those will continue to work in the Webpack. But you might choose to use Vite, and there's a growing ecosystem of uh, libraries and plugins for Vite that should work in NAPS as well. So it's a, it's a choice. So that brings up.
1: One thing I want to clarify there is that currently we're using Webpack for multiple things. So you use it for the hot reload, the developer experience, and so on that Vite is replacing. But it's also used for the actual bundling of your code when you go to build. So what we're saying is V is is only for the developer side of things, the server. So it would only be, it's only going to replace that portion of Webpack where you would still be used Webpack by default for the actual building and bundling of your site upon deployment.
3: That that's true, but only for the the current state of the Nuxt Vite module, which is bringing Vite to, to Nuxt two right now. So, in other words, if you were to install the Nuxt Vite module today and use it, it will just replace your development experience. It will it will make it really fast. It will you you can use Vite for that, but it will still if you build the package, it will build it with Webpack. But with Nuxt three, uh, that's not the case. So Webpack is there as an option. For development and build, but Vite is also there as an option for development and build.
1: Oh, I was so under the impression that Vite only did the development side of things. I didn't realize it did the bundling as well. Vite, yes, Vite has the
3: well, it's done with with Rollup.
1: Oh, okay, right, okay. Which yeah, and, that brings up another question. Then you know, I've been listening to you know, I listen to other podcasts, and one of the uh, topics I've heard coming up frequently now is you know, for a long time Webpack was you know the dominant. Module used for development server and for bundling and everything ran on Webpack. Now you're starting to see Snowpack and Parcel and and Rollup and any number of different build tools that are out there that are you know supposedly faster. That's usually the 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 draw of the of these new ones. And so I guess my question is: Are there plans to be able to use any of those as well? In Nuxt, I assume it could probably be done if you wanted to do the manual work yourself, or are we pretty much sticking with with Vite, and yeah, we'll let them use Webpack because it's been around
3: for so long. So it's worth saying that that everything can be changed about Nuxt. Right. Uh, and that extensibility is one of the, the great things. So if you want to build and you know I'm gonna hold you to this, if you if you want to build a snowpack integration for for Nuxt, you could probably do it today. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't mean within the day. But right. probably started today. <laughs> you could, the Nuxt feet, uh, module that uh, adds Beat functionality to nux 2. I would say Fuya you got the first proof of concept of, of that from initial thought to it's working now within a day. And to to be fair, he, he is a genius, which I am not. But uh, but but it is possible to add add these things to 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 Nuxt as is. I think the big change that all of these a lot of these uh so snowpack versus uh, and and, and roll up and and, and Veet is the the move is bundling isn't necessary it's not it's not required rather so browsers can understand the idea of importing a, a script from another location and i guess that was why originally bundlers came in because browsers couldn't just import you couldn't just write import Lodash from here, you, you actually had to do this complicated thing with umds and sort of self registering functions and, and things like that. And, and, and so, Webpack and 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 what browserify and and others came in and basically like I to, to but but now, now that's not required. Browsers natively understand modules, and we're moving away from the, the old common JS code on server side to support ES modules there too. And there's this. It feels like a convergence of server side and client side to this new wonderful, beautiful world of ES modules, and I, th- I think it feels like it's a big move. It, like it feels like we've been moving in this direction for a while, and we're getting closer, and the tooling is starting to support it, uh, and now the CDNs like SkyPack that support it, and and so I think I think that that's 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 a, an exciting move. I still think bundling is is likely to be needed because just the fact that browsers can support can can do it doesn't mean that it's going to be a great experience in terms of performance for example loading thousands of scripts from lots of different locations and uh i, I still think bundling is, is a good thing and it's why veet and webpack 5 are roll up and, and others are, are still great ch- choices you know you, you want to bundle your production uh dependencies for lots of reasons you know but performance is, isn't isn't um isn't the least of those reasons, I'll, I'll say that for sure. Yeah, in the, in the VEAT documentation,
0: they, they comment for, for development, it uses ES build and then imports every component and every file using ES modules rather than doing any bundling. But for production, it does bundle and roll roll up specifically because of the performance hit. Yeah. Uh, if you're having to fetch all those files, there's going to be significantly more delay than if you're only
3: fetching one or two. And some of the, the benefits that you might think you could get is, is going away. So the old concept of, you know, you have this content as uh, CDN version of common scripts that you might use, like a, a content a CDN version of Vue that could be used in lots of sites. Um, browser makers are now no longer caching those because they're cross-site requests. So you don't actually get the benefit of, of serving a cached version of, of the script from the user's, uh, user's um, browser cache. So... So yes, you want to bundle things. That that's the that's the t- takeaway message. And Webpack Five, I mean, obviously, I think it's not the new child on the block, but there's some really really cool features to Webpack Five, such as module federation, which which we probably should be shouting about, and it's p- partly also why uh, we wouldn't want to to take a project that's built on Webpack Four and just say, oh sorry, you've got to migrate to Rollup now. Uh, Webpack Five has, has got some really Really good features. It's really fast. It's it's a great product. Yeah, I know everyone's excited
0: right now about things like Vite and Rollup and ES Build, but Webpack is still very powerful and it does get the job done. And there's definitely a lot of innovation happening on their side as well.
3: So definitely not something to discount. There's a great little there's a great little bundler comparison site that Google have put together, um, which basically just tracks the, the different di- different uh, so Webpack a lot. Like, Parcel, Browserify, etc., and just show how they how they hit um, different tests, different things that you would want to want to see. Uh, it's bundlers.tooling.report, um, and we'll put a link in the show notes, I'm sure. Um, and that's very interesting. If you want to see, so some of the these newer bundlers have some cool features, but you can get a good good impression of the whole spectrum of of features you want, might want to, to have. So at the moment, as of these things are changing constantly, but at the moment you have Webpack is slightly in the lead with uh, 43.5 out of 48 te- tests passing and Rollup's ups uh, just neck and neck behind at 40.5 out of 48. So, um, but yeah, take a look and it gets very granular. Lots of features you might not even realize some of these these blenders have. It's, it's interesting reading. Really. Yeah, that's yeah, is is really, really cool.
1: One interesting thing about Beat that I thought I'd point out here real quick is that with the 2.0 release, it isn't just limited to view anymore. In Evan's post on dev.to announcing it, he talked about how version one, what does he call it, a very hacky <laughs> a hacky prototype that serves used single file components over native ESM and 2.0 extracts it. And so now you can use it with React, uh, Preact, you know, any number of, of other projects, and he's even got a... Demo video in the post about uh, using Create React App with
3: Vite versus uh, its original setup, and even mix them in the same project. So uh, I think that that has got to be a, a really cool feature of it. Everything from just a static file server to adding functionality and features from one package to another, and and basically getting the browser to do the hard work. That was the I think the core insight at, at the root of Vite one. Wait a second. The browsers know how to go down a dependency tree. So why why do we need to build bundle in advance? I think that that was the that was the question of let's just instead of starting from an entry point and bundling up, why not start from a root and find the dependencies needed? Uh, that that was a very interesting move. And yes, as you say, V two supports pretty much any any library because the core. Methodology is is not linked really to Vue, it's at all to Vue. It's it's just a different way of thinking about browser dependencies. I think. Yeah, I did a bit
0: of testing comparing Create React App and Vue CLI with their equivalents using the the V initialization. So much faster, so many fewer files. It it was really amazing the the amount of work that went in to create that
3: experience. Yeah, it's 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 a real pleasure, isn't it? And I think. That uh, that move towards the minimal, so small dependency tree, quick start, immediate uh, beginning to development, not having to wait for things to compile and load. That's something that every framework will benefit from, and that will be true of Nuxt 3 as well. So as in that, that will be the direction we'll be going into, just making sure things are effortless and and really feel feel good as a developer. Because I, I don't know about you, but my uh, productivity hugely increases if I feel like I'm I'm being effective immediately so I I um one I don't have to sit through lots of installs but then as I make changes and come up with ideas I can see what they do straight away uh, and that that is a really nice feature yeah and actually if you're playing with nuts 3 um you get that like already um, whether whether you're using Webpack 5 or Vite, to be honest both of them have this really fast snappy responsiveness and yes go go watch uh Sebastian's video. The 23 minutes in the <laughs> hidden in that slides deck, and
0: uh, I think you see a bit of it. Yeah, I was just going to mention anyone listening should definitely go look at Sebastian's uh, slides. There is a 23, 24 minute video of him previewing Next 3, and you can see exactly what it's like, how fast it is. In that video, one of the things I noticed that really interested me was the auto importing of various folders. So in Next in 2, we already have the pages folder where if you create index.js, then it creates that correct route if you create about or sorry index.view index.view about.view whatever pages file you want it'll create the route but in Next 3 it'll auto import plugins as well and it looked like it was auto importing from the server folder as sebastian was working as well so you could create api routes and you could create middleware all with yeah. just creating the folders and it's just this huge move i feel like from Next 2 to Next 3 this this idea of the convention versus configuration. I don't think in that video Sebastian even created a NUX.config config
3: file. No? No, you're right. It it is and I I mean obviously you can configure all of these things. You you can if you want to get into the into the details. But you're right. It's it just it it should just work. So both server API routes so uh, an endpoint you expect to hit. Uh, but and there's also auto creating server middleware. Uh, Sorry, I should put a space between that server middleware. So the kind of uh, thing that runs on every request. So you know, there's there's different c- conventions for creating these different kinds of things. Definitely less config.
0: Yeah, that was something that really interested me because I, I feel like whenever I'm creating a new Next application, my first step is go to Next config, make sure everything is looking how I want it, add any plugins or any modules that I need, and I'm sure if I'm installing third-party modules. Like there's this wonderful GitHub one that fetches data. Now, if you're installing something like that, then you will have to configure it so Nux knows to look for that
3: since it's not in a local folder. But well, you'll say, you will say you need to configure it, but you know with this amazing Nux uh, CLI that we're talking about, it might be oh. that some of that's made easier as well. Oh. Don't want to give oh. any spoilers away, but ba- basically we want to make it as easy to add a new module and configure it correctly as possible. So it's not, it's not that you have to trawl through readme's and figure out how to do it, but you should just be able to say, I want to add X support to this project. I have this integration that I want to add, um, and and you just say Nuxt add integration, and it works. So without any
0: spoilers, if I wanted to add Tailwind, all I have to do is use the Nuxt CLI, add Tailwind, and it would auto-configure it, create the, the Tailwind config file, so then, all I'd have to look at is Tailwind Config instead of next Config. That's
2: an
3: example of the kind of thing that we would want to do. Exactly. I mean, Tailwind doesn't take a great deal of configuration at the moment. The, no. the next module that is, but but yes, exactly. So so the yeah. So we, we want to make it simple. We don't want to, it to be the only way you can do something. So of course, of course, you can do it as you do at the moment, but uh, we it sh- should be easier. Things should be less effort. There should be less in the way of 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 making things. Work for a project. Awesome. I think at this point, I'd like to dive
0: into Nitro because that is a huge topic in and of itself, and I really want to get into that and, and explore it. So I think let's let's just start from the top on Nitro. What
3: is it? What do, how does it interact with Nuxt? So uh, Nitro. So Nitro is is the Nuxt three server rendering engine. It's the thing that transforms a an incoming request. Into a response that has some HTML, or not, or has some other kind of response like a JSON object or whatever. So it's it's that thing that the server basically. And building it in Nuxt three, as with quite a lot of things for Nuxt three, including the CLI or Nuxt kit, etc., we are finding ways of abstracting those and actually making them accessible to Nuxt two as well, which has the benefit of meaning People don't have to wait until everything is is in one package they can actually benefit from it now and also means we can we can get people testing it and uh, improving it even before we launch nux three uh so so Nitro is, is the nux3 engine but it's possible to install and use in nux 2 and some of the answers some of the sort of explanations of how it works will vary a little bit based on whether it's operating as a nux 2 module a compatibility module or whether it's operating in its nux three context but basically what the way we create this server so our aims and objectives for it are a little bit different from a traditional server where we have an opportunity to change our objectives for a server so if you're looking at the servers of of yesterday or five years ago servers are they start up they have a number of processes running that respond to incoming requests it's it's a it's 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 pretty monolithic, you can add more more servers, you can add more um, processes or respond to more requests. You can scale the server in terms of memory and so on. But a lot of what we're thinking about now and seeing now is that people want to process requests on a per request basis, perhaps. So you have a serverless function or um, you want to run that uh, response in, in some other kind of environment like Cloudflare Worker. Or even a browser service worker, or maybe there's other targets like Dino or somewhere else. And what you therefore need from a server is well, it it, it needs not to have node dependencies, so it it can't be too tied to the particular runtime environment um, in which the JavaScript is is running. It needs to be optimized for cold start speed, so it's it's important that it starts up quickly. And, uh, and only loads into memory when it needs to process a request uh, rather than having a long start be acceptable uh, because you're starting a server that's going to be going for weeks, months. We, we might have a server that only lives for a second or, well, I guess 15 minutes or something like that is probably more normal. But but it's a short-lived server and it's, it's starting to respond to a particular request. So these different objectives have um, made us help, helped us think through and make some different choices in terms of how the server works. So uh, with Nitro is by the way, do stop me if I'm getting into too much detail or anything like that I'm, but uh, so, so far so good when, okay <laughs> so so Nitro Ni- Nitro basically takes your existing not server if you're using Nux 2 for example, processes it with rollup, removes lots of node dependencies so mocks dependencies that don't matter with a very clever auto-marking file that responds to everything. It has every object property. It has every function. You can call functions and get results from it, and, uh, and they're just all self-referential, and they do nothing. So we have some clever mocks. Uh, we have uh, re-implemented a lot of node built-ins, including HTTP servers and frameworks like Express or Connect in, in a non-node-specific way. So you can you can have you can register root handlers and things like that that run in the browser. Uh, you can have a an HTTP server that is that is in Cloudflare Workers. So uh, we've we've we we process that that Nuxt build file. We remove those those node specific um, details, um, and then we we basically assemble all the results. So you're left with a an int- a single entry point which is tiny. It's just an orchestrator. Which looks at the request that's coming in, and then we do all of this statically in advance. Um, we were able to, to determine what route it might match, and then dynamically import code to handle that particular request. So, uh, for example, if that might be if that's on Cloudflare Cloud Workers, it means we can dynamically import the code from the key value store, uh, which means we can we don't have to. It, it means that the space. Requirements in cloud, cloud workers don't, don't matter so much, uh, for example. And if you're running in a node in, tra- traditional node environment, it just means you don't have to load everything into memory uh, in order to, to respond to a to request quickly. Um, so the orchestrator is able to, to pull in what's needed, whether that's an API that's returning JSON and it's defined in, in, say, that server folder you were talking about, uh, Lindsay, from uh, Sebastian's talk, or whether it's uh, defined in some other kind of way, uh, manually, perhaps. Or whether it's uh, rendering an HTML page, or whether it's rendering, say, just the payload for an HTML page for A sort of sort of hybrid site that has static HTML, but dynamic data. And that's that's all able to to be done really quickly. Um, so we're seeing, you know, fractions of a millisecond in terms of loading and importing this this kind of these chunks, these dynamic chunks and, and then basically responding as needed. And this also enables us to, to do some other cool things. So, for for example, we inject and call a local a, a call to this orchestrator into Nuxt itself and into the um, into the APIs and server functions that you might have defined in your Nuxt project. So this this call is it's, it's dollar sign fetch. So you can use it to make requests to external APIs, but you can also use it to make requests to internal ones. So if you were to It's it's an isomorphic fetch, effectively. So you can call it in a server environment, and rather than create a request, it will respond just directly with the function on the local server that is required to respond to that request. So imagine you're in a view component and you have a, a secure API, which is needed because there's some kind of private key and you need access to that. You just call this fetch and it doesn't have to create a new request, it's instantaneous. On the server, it has no performance hit at all. It just goes straight to the orchestrator. On so, the client side... Sorry,
0: just real quick. So, for example, if I need to make a database request and preload some data, I don't need to have an API object that will go out and make those, like a, like a service or some sort of bundle of methods. I can just make the API call on the server. It will know because I'm on the server. I'm on the server side. Not to make the... HTTP request. It will just make the function call based off of the
3: the file path, essentially. Effectively, yeah, exactly. So at at the moment, we're still talking, we're still thinking of it in terms of an a URL. But that URL is then is passed, and instead of a request being made to the URL, you, the, the function is just called, and the response is just returned. So it's it's still an async function that you're you're consuming within your component. But you're right; it just all happens on the server. It doesn't, doesn't go any doesn't go anywhere, it doesn't create any new requests. But then when that same call is being made on client side, because you're navigating from one page to another, you don't need to fully render the the, the HTML. The that gets turned into a an XHR request and the server responds with the data in that kind of way. So it, it should mean it's it's really effortless to use server-side APIs. And and to do so within say a serverless function without any performance at all. but definitely awesome. it it's, it's a hu- it it addresses a huge pain point from my point of view, which is that the boilerplate you need uh, normally to say okay I'm going to create this, this this function over here, and then one I'm going to have to configure my base URL, and and do lots of tests to see what environment I'm running in, and then I'm going to have to make sure that I. I I have to test if I'm in the server. I don't want to be performing a request. I somehow want to dynamically import this file and respond, but I won't have access to the, the secure config that I might need. You know, it becomes complicated. Um, and there, there are some things that have, we've released in Nuts that help address that, like private runtime config and uh, and others. But Nitro is definitely the next,
0: next step forward. I think that is an incredible feature. I definitely look forward to using that one
3: myself. I've run into that situation numerous times. The... As part of um, coming up with that, and this is true, really, with lots of things: for Nuxt, three, for Nitro, nuts all these these things that we're working on, we're doing our best. So it's not about Nuxt. So it's obviously I care a great deal about Nuxt. I want to see Nuxt really thrive, and the whole ecosystem and everyone who has is contributing to it. I'd love to see it be successful. That's great, but it's not. It's not just about Nuxt. I mean, we're part of a much bigger ecosystem of developers who are using all kinds of technologies. So all the all the the, the innovations and stuff that's coming out of this, and I have got to say, by the way, it's it's mostly uh, Puya who is the, the the genius behind behind lots of these things. I am I'm, I'm talking about them, but I'm I'm not responsible in the same way that he is. But the uh, but a lot of these innovations are being released. Um, so there is a a new GitHub organization you can check out called Un. Um, JS, and uh, lots of packages that are designed not to be dependent on nuxt or its needs but actually to improve the, the node um, and browser ecosystems so a lot of the cool things i'm talking about like that http server which is purely browser code or the, the auto marking functionality or that uh, even the global fetch you can find a lot of that in um, a package called oh my fetch and i'll i'll Put some links in the show notes, but but these these things are they're, they're not just for Knuts three. Obviously, we want to make nuts three really cool, but we don't want to limit it to that. So there's there's a lot of really interesting stuff to check out. So is something like Nitro going to be
0: available to somebody else who wants to build a server side rendering framework that has this kind of functionality, or is is Nitro more nux specific? Nitro is not
3: specific, so it's, okay. it's it's not that. We, I mean, if anyone else is wanting to do something similar, I would be, yeah, come talk to me. I'd, I'd love to help. But um, but nitro itself is aimed at it, it's it's really tied to Nuxt internals. A lot okay. of its optimizations are designed to make it uh, or, or work with Nuxt. It's it's not one of these these um package, it's the Nuxt 3 rendering engine is of this. It so it's it's not directly drop into any other project. That makes sense. And you mentioned that you'd be able to
0: deploy a Nuxt application somewhere like CloudShare. Right, if I heard you correctly. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think in the in the slides I saw that you would have other deploy targets as well, either Vercel or Netlify, and you'd still have access to all of the the server the serverless functions.
3: So everything that I've been talking about is works on all of the targets that um, that you can see there, with one exception, which is experiment. So the experimental target that's the exception. I might as well mention that first. Um, basically, as part of the process of getting this to work in Cloudflare, which runs in something like a browser it's, it's not a browser it's a v8 isolated environment but a lot of the apis and ways you interact with things involve requests and responses um, and browser apis basically so we built some uh, proof of concept to get nux full server side rendering happening in a service worker uh, in your browser so it can actually be a server within your own browser that responds to incoming requests even cross multiple tabs or would have the same service worker. That's experimental though, that like, service workers are not a reliable method because for example, they don't work in incognito tabs um, for good reasons. That's the only provider. Everything else, all the other the targets that we're talking about work with full Nuxt server rendering. Um, they, they work with static rendering too. Uh, so you could deploy a static site, but still keep a Nuxt function to handle dynamic routes. So if stuff is, uh, if you didn't know about it for deploying or creating that, that static site, it's still handled, it's, it can still be handled by the server. So targets like Versal and Netlify and Azure functions are zero config. So they're just uh, Azure static web apps as well. They just work. So there's no, no setups that you don't really have to add much configuration. You just add the module to your, your next build modules and it will detect what environment it's running in they are those cloud environments are smart enough to notice and we've worked with with them as well to, to make sure that, that nitro is able to produce the right kind of output to tie directly into their uh, cdns and their, the way they handle serverless functions so it is a phenomenal experience in that it just it just works um adding firebase support uh, for example took probably just about a day um, for someone who had no experience building on Firebase functions. Nitro is very configurable, and it's possible to add add this kind of functionality to, uh, to other targets too, so
2: that's awesome. When I went freelance, I was still only a few years into my development career. My first contract, I was paid 60 bucks an hour. Due to feedback from my friends, I raised it to 120 bucks an hour on the next contract. And due to the podcasts I was involved in and the screencasts I had made in the past, I started getting calls from people I'd never even heard of who wanted me to do development work for them because I had done that kind of work or talked about or demonstrated that kind of work in the videos and podcasts that I was making. Within a year, I was able to more than double my freelancing rates, and I had more work than I could handle. If you're thinking about freelancing or have a profitable but not busy or fulfilling freelance practice, let me show you how to do it in my Dev Heroes Accelerator. Dev Heroes aren't just people who devs admire. They're also people who deliver for clients who know, like, and trust them. Let me help you double your income and fill your slowdowns. You can learn more at devheroesaccelerator.com. I'm particularly
0: intrigued by this because I I deploy my personal website on Netlify, and I'd like to be able to, to integrate with some of this. But what other deployment options are there in Nuxt three? I know currently we have the the universal mode, and we have the the I can't remember the specific names. I, I always do the static generation as best as much as I can. But I'd like to dive into the different development options or deployment options that we have in in Nuxt two at the moment. Well, in uh, in in NUX2 at the moment, and then comparing them to what it looks like in Nux3. So
3: at the moment we have, so we've had some a little bit of of, of confusion over the mode, the NUTS mode, which was originally universal or spa. Yes, and I can bounce we, from that
1: confusion.
3: <laughs> and we then to try and address that, we we replaced that with an SSR option. So SSR true or false, but that led to its own confusion as well. So I and I, I understand why things are confusing. So for example, here's, here's a, a taste. So what was originally so the, the universal target, the universal mode, the point is it runs universally on the server and on the client side. So in other words, we're generating a node server that that, that can turn requests into rendered HTML and we are generating a browser client bundle. That can load in the browser, hydrate a page, and you can navigate through it. So that was the universal concept. It's isomorphic. It works in both server and browser. And that was probably fine until we have this concept of a, a generated site. So you're, you're generating static files, and those static files are then deployed, and there is no server. There is no uh, it's it's just static files and, uh, and a site. But both for mode universal and for SSR, the answer is it's mode universal and SSR true because there's still a generation happening, there's still a rendering happening, there's still a server that is is in place. It's just happening at generate time rather than when the request is being made. So the static mode moves that in advance. It's possible to have a static site that has no server generated server generation side of things, no server content, but why would you do that? I think you probably want to be generating a site that has HTML that matches your components. So in almost every case, you're going to want SSR true, which is default, whether you're using a static target or whether you're you're using another kind. So um, that's definitely what I would, would recommend. Now, that may or may not have cleared up things. Steve, tell me, have I just added more confusion into the mix?
1: Yes, I guess my confusion was that you would use both the target And the was it mode as in in conjunction? I guess let's talk about the different places you would want to deploy a site and how would you want to deploy it? Maybe we can look at it that way. So, you know, as Lindsay mentioned, and I I do the same thing, I host on Netlify. And Netlify has a very specific page. I remember seeing it It says, no, we don't support universal, we only support the statically generated site that gets deployed to our CDN. So, if you wanted to have, what you refer to as universal. So where you have a backend process that that generates code on the server and then sends it to the front. And then, you know, with async data, you have the options of doing things on the server when it's called on the server side versus when it's called on the client side. Then you would need to deploy to something, somewhere where you actually can run a node server under your site. So like a Heroku, I think, is one of the more common examples of that. And then now you can also still do it in SPA mode, right? Is that correct, where it just runs strictly as a server-side single-page application with no hydration from a server and not statically generated?
3: So so at the moment, if you wanted to deploy a Netlify on purely static or any other purely static host, um, your options are you can use a target static and uh, take advantage of the new full static mode. That brings lots of benefits. Next. I would I would do that by default, unless I had another a reason not to. So, because it's, you never have, have to have a server fire up, it's just served from the content delivery network as close to you as possible. So that, you know, exactly what Lindsay was saying earlier, that's exactly what I would want to do, if I could. Now there are reasons why you might not want to do that or couldn't do that. And maybe you need to pass the, the um, user agent of the request, you need to know about that on mobile or desktop, maybe you need to um, have some kind of server-side authentication there could be plenty of good reasons why you don't need you're not able to do that so uh, i'd start with target static you can actually have target server and still generate the pages and it still produces static pages that can be deployed anywhere but that is maybe a little confusing in terms of the the terminology so yes if you're generating static pages you're not going to be running any of the you're still going to run the server-side hooks in nuts like nuts server in it as long as you have SSR true, you're still going to run those hooks when the pages are generated. But it won't run, obviously, per request. You have a static file, but it's going to be the same always. It's it's not going to change. If you, uh, of course, you, you can you can generate. You can have a sparse, you can have a SSR false. And what that will, will do, obviously, is, is just serve a really simple HTML page with very little in it, but it will load the bundles that are required to create the app. And the main reason I wouldn't want to do something like that is that it means there's that flash of light at the beginning that you get with any non-SSR uh, app. So it, it's just a slightly worse user experience from my point of view. So I, I would recommend not doing that unless you have a good reason to do it. And there are often, often the reasons people might have for doing that can be addressed in other ways. So they might want um, their middleware to, to run on initial load or, or, or something like that. There are ways of doing that. With with generated uh, g- generated HTML, if you if you have a node server and you want to deploy that, then you yes you have target server of course, um, but the main difference is instead of running uh, Nuxt generate, you run Nuxt build, and then you have this option of running Nuxt start, and that that then starts up your node uh, server, and that would then enable you to run it on Heroku. Now it's it's worth saying that with Nitro Netlify is not just the static file host. Netlify can have functions. I mean, they have functions now, but with Nitro, those functions can actually render HTML uh, for an next site. And there are some very, very cool features that Netlify are coming out with that uh, basically straddle SSR and static. I don't know how, how up to that you've been keeping, but definitely watch what they have coming in the space. It's really, really interesting.
1: So okay so here's a here's a real life use case then I want to use and I guess this is where the Netlify server functions could come in so let's say I want to use Nuxt with a headless CMS just because you know I've been working with one site and and SEO is really important and so I just went with the the content module using markdown files and you can use your, like you know Netlify CMS that handles some of that stuff for you. We've talked about that on this show before. But let's say I want to use something like a Prismic or a Contentful or Butter CMS, what have you, on the back end, but I still want to have the server side rendering. So in other words, I have like a node server that fetches my data and then sends that to the front end. How would how would I accomplish something like that?
3: And you want that to happen. Every request, so the user loads up the page, and every request, it's going to get something in. Either that, or I
1: loaded in the you know maybe I loaded in my Vuex store or or something like that, you know, and then fetch
3: it from there. So with, I mean, there there are lots of ways of doing that, which is true with so many things, right? So where where do you start? But the the I would start with using a target static site. So the full static mode in Nuxt is really designed for this kind of data first approach. So you've you've got data. Uh, you might build the site once and then just generate the pages 10 times and just refresh the data. So it's designed to allow you to uh, to re-render pages based based on data. Uh, if you have data, you always want to be fresh. So you, you probably don't want to have, well, you either don't want to have the old data baked into your HTML, in which case you can just wrap it with client only, or you can just pass the option fetch on server false to your component. So you, you write your same code, you have a, a fetch hook, and but you just say, I, I don't want to do it on server side, which means that when that page loads, it will fetch that data freshly in your app. So before that point, the HTML will come down the line, it will be empty in the bit that has the data you're expecting. And as soon as it it loads that component, it will fetch it freshly. Um, and that's probably the way of getting what you want. So target static and you use a fetch hook that you have fetch on server false. Uh, and, and that just forces it. Uh, if, if you for whatever reason wanted to have some content in place for SEO, perhaps you want search engines to pull it up, you might decide actually I, I want it to be rendered, but I want it to be refetched when the page is loaded. And you can you can do that as well. So you, but you would that would take a little bit more you would you would add a, a hook and you basically say say on on mounted or before mount or something like that you perform a new request. Uh, and you don't have to rewrite the code. You can just say this dot dollar sign fetch. Uh, you can force it to, to refetch in that kind of way, and then you ensure that you have the most up to date data. But it, it depends whether you want want there to be content in the page HTML when it's loaded.
1: Yeah, I guess what I'm looking for is that utopia, that perfect convergence of great SEO with with dynamic data, where I can just go into my backend and update it, and then it will be it'll be updated. I guess without having to go through a you know. Rebuild the
3: entire site. The, I mean, so I alluded to it earlier, but full static mode has a really useful feature in that rebuilding the whole site does not take very long. So most app uh, providers like Netlify and FSL and others have a uh, will store the build cache for you, and the entire Nux build output will go into that cache. So if you run a rebuild without changing any dependencies or code, it won't rebuild your site. It will just regenerate the pages. So uh, which the whole thing can take place in a matter of seconds. Uh, it depends obviously how big of a site you have, but, uh, it's, but it's that's the kind of, so if you want constantly fresh data and you need it in the HTML, then the way to do it is to implement it with a webhook. So you, you change it in Prismic, the webhook fires off to your, your host, your host runs a rebuild, and 20 seconds later, you have a new site up.
1: So is that running, I know one of the holy grails of a static site is what's called incremental rebuild. Where you know, I know that Gatsby has implemented that in the Gatsby Cloud, and I think it's in their their open offering as well. Is that what we're talking about? Being able to, is that what it's doing? It's, is an incremental rebuild?
3: It's it's not an incremental rebuild. So so it, you're you're right. It's not rebuilding the site. So that all the Webpack stuff, all the JavaScript bundle files, they are not changed. But because full stack, uh, the full static mode has split out the data from the webpack build so that they're stored in, in separate sets of files what uh, what it does is it rebuilds just the data and just the html so it doesn't need to, to touch the the javascript file so it doesn't need to invoke webpack or do anything like that but what it does is it refit it performs all the api requests fresh and stores all the responses from those api requests in payload um, files which then can be requested uh, when the when the site is um, is loaded, and it also bakes them into the HTML files. But it there's no concept in full static mode at the moment of regenerating just one page. And it regenerates all of the pages, but it's still very fast because it doesn't have to rebuild it. We Re- rebuild the bundle in terms of incremental root generation. So saying I just want this one page to be regenerated. That is absolutely on our list. A lot of people want it. Uh, It would be a really nice experience uh, for people to say, hey, you know, we deployed the site five minutes ago, but this one route has changed and it needs to be done. Uh, Can you just generate that? You know, we'd, we'd like to make that work. There are some real challenges to it. So you might know that the change that you've made only affects that one page, but it might affect it. How does Nuxt know that? You know, how, how is it? Is it sure that the data doesn't go further? In regenerating that one page, how do we make sure that then if you load that page and then navigate somewhere else in your site, that the data still works there too? There, there are challenges, but it's definitely on our list. It's something we'd like we'd like to do.
1: Okay, so a couple of little rabbit holes to go down here. So let's step back for a minute. We've talked about target and SSR. So SSR is basically a Boolean, is that correct? Is
3: true or exactly. false? Okay. It's true or false okay and, and it, oh, i'm sorry you, keep going. You, pro- you you probably want it to be true unless unless you, you don't want there to be content when you look if if you set it to ssr false you'll get a loading spinner when you load the page and then it will load the site uh, even in a purely static site yes so ssr so the question of ssr and maybe we could have could have changed it to something like rendering or generate html or something like that that's what it is. The question is, are we generating HTML or not? I'm Well, sorry, I, I realize that we're always generating HTML, but are we rendering your view page to HTML? So that's the question. If you want a generated site, if you want a full static site, you probably want the generated HTML, which means you want SSR true. Okay, so it, SSR server
1: side rendering could be true even if you don't have a node server. Uh,
3: even if you don't have a node server, so, the, well, the, the the fact is, and this is why it made sense to us when we said SSR as the name of the thing. The fact is, there is still server-side rendering happening, and there is still a server, but the server is only when you're building, when you're generating it. There is a server at that point. That there's it's it's generate time server-side rendering.
0: So, so if SSR is true, your HTML files will have content in them beyond just yes. the the link to the app.js file or whatever if ssr is false it will be basically empty more or less as you would see with a
3: Vue cli application yes exactly and it is such i see so many people who have picked ssr false because they have a static site and i completely understand it I, I, it's it's i i, I understand why, why you would you would do that but you don't want to you want to pick ssr true and have a static site
1: okay so the Any, default value is true correct so if it's not in your it next config it's assuming to
3: be true you don't need to touch it but the, yes the one thing you mustn't do is add ssr false because it unless you really want that behavior okay so
1: then the target so the, again the va- the valid options for the target setting are
3: server or static okay so your the the thing that static enables is this separation between the data and the HTML. So you can still render a static site with a server target, but it won't, it's not, it's not going to be this, it's not going to have payload files that are that that bake in the API requests in the same kind of way as the full static mode. It, it will still generate static files. Um, but it will give you a warning and recommend that you use target static. Okay.
1: Now, one more question I had was uh, when I was giving my scenario of you know having a headless backend uh, that could be dynamically updated, As you talked about using fetch. Now, are you talking about the fetch function that's available within the components as compared to async data? Is that the
3: same yeah, thing? That's what I was talking about in that instance. OK, and- so can we talk
1: about the differences between the, those two methods when you would use one versus the other?
3: And I'm going to make it even more complicated because there are actually two methods called fetch within the which also oh, causes days. some trouble. You would, so the, uh, so async data is basically blocking data. So it, what it will do is it will stop the loading of the page until the data exists. So if you're using async, it only works on pages. It only works on, on routes rather than on individual components. So you. Because imagine if every component block a rendering of a page, you know, wh- how would you resolve that? Would one component block every other component or just the page as a whole? There, there would be com- complexities. So async data only works in pages and it will block the rendering of that page and, w- and it will perform the request. And then whatever is returned from the async data function will be merged with the data object, uh, with the, the data function for the page. So um, as far as that component n- knows, Uh, there is no time when the async data function has not been called so you can rely on it from it having happened in your component with fetch you can't rely on it you have to handle the state of loading Um, because fetch happens obviously if you're generating it on a full static site this is not the case if you're generating it with a full static site uh it it will happen during the generate phase and you won't need to worry about it in production but still, conceptually, there is this concept of the data isn't yet, it's not yet happened because fetch is a non-blocking data hook. So you can you, you basically load the page, the fetch hook fires, and then moments later it gets the results and does whatever it does with them. And there are two different versions of the fetch hook. So the, the old deprecated version, which nobody should ever use now, <laughs> Daniel says confidently, uh, was like async data in that it received a context object, um, and you could destructure all kinds of things from it, like root and store, and then you could, you could interact with them. But that was it. Uh, it was mostly a hook for for firing requests to store. The new fetch is different. The new fetch has access to the component instance. It effectively runs in the created hook of the component, so it it has a this and instead of returning anything it, you can directly assign the results of your fetch to properties on the component or you can run methods or whatever so and what then happens if you're using a fetch is if, if it runs on the server the results of all of that uh, behavior are packed up and uh, transmitted to the client and they are then hydrated they they're, they're then applied directly to it so that you don't re run at fetch method on the client side, which is a which is which is great. It's it's it, and that's what enables full static mode to happen because then when you when you generate it in advance, this is this is run. And then on the client side you just load the payload and apply the results of that payload to the component instance. And and that's that's um that's fun. it's a it's a really great performance benefit for a full static mode. But the key difference is one is blocking and the other uh, blocks root navigation and the other doesn't block root navigation.
1: One of the other differences with async data, though, is that it's sort of its own separate entity that doesn't have access to the data properties of the component, right? Because basically it's running, before. I think it's but before you're created in mounted hooks. And so this isn't available at the time that it's run. So you have to return your data object and exactly. then access it within your component.
3: You're exactly right. So yes, because it, it because the async data is, is just, it's past this context it's effectively extracted from your component and it's run separately from your component. So it's it's not, it has no, even though you're defining it in the same file, it's not really the same thing. It's uh and, and and that that's why there's this this separation. So it receives this context object, it does what it does, and it returns a value, and that value is then merged with the results of the data function in your component. Whereas fetch. It, it's not actually a a view lifecycle hook, but it is being called within view lifecycle hook, which is why it has access to the the component instance, and uh, and and why why you can actually interact with the component and change things.
1: So, in your fetch hook is where you would want to be calling, make your Prismic API calls, or you know, whatever your backend or your serverless functions or whatever.
3: So uh, yes, in, exactly. So, I mean, the the fact is that in in full static mode both your async data and your fetch, whatever's done in fetch, they're, they're, it's all put into your payload. So, I mean, it's it's not like there's a difference between the two of them in terms of the data being saved or not. Um, and both can make those API requests. So in uh, because you get your context in async data, you'll get access to a global Prismic service if you're using the, the module. And you can do the same in, in the fetch hook. But personally, I would, I would recommend using fetch. I think... I think it, uh, there, are, there are a number of reasons. I think it's helpful to think about loading states. Personally, I would rather a page navigate sooner and then have a loading state and wait for a network request to be run. I, so I, I like the the ergonomics of it. It, f- it feels feels good to me.
1: Does that have any SEO implications though for doing that in terms of how long Google's going to wait around for your data to load and, and be able to index it? It doesn't because
3: um, you're. If you're talking about a static site, which I think we are, um, the oh, data is all baked into your HTML. Oh, static site, so, right? Okay. And uh, and and to be honest, if you're if you're um, performing a hard server side load, the fetch we wait for the fetch as well. So the blocking behavior I'm talking about is only once you've loaded the site, and are navigating client side. Uh, if you were performing a hard reload, the fetch happens but a fetch happens before your response comes back from the server so you, you get a a page with all the data in place. So when Google or something like that is crawling, they're
0: always going to see the finished page. they're never going to see the loader because they're typically hitting they're hitting pages directly rather than navigating to links like a user would exactly there's not
3: not I don't think it's a puppeteer uh, up in the background somewhere, but um so it's Yes. If you're running a server and you're performing a hard reload, both async data and fetch will fully resolve before the response comes back from the server. The difference when in terms of blocking versus non-blocking is when you are navigating to a different route on an already server-side rendered page. And, and that is where you have that. It's, 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 that's where you have that behavior. Effectively, what Nux does with async data is hook into the, the router, the view router behavior, um, sort of before each hook to say before we actually navigate to this route, we want to resolve this data.
1: Ah, okay. That makes sense. So just to clarify, the the fetch behavior that you're talking about, that's as of Next three? Yeah.
3: Is that that's the updated? A, uh, is it Nux2.13? Oh, okay. It's um when the so content was, module
1: came out, about in the same release that the content
3: module came out. I think I think that's right. The I think I think it might have come out in and that's 2.12 was the the fetch hook, the new style fetch hook. Mm-hmm. Um, and the confusion that I'm talking about is that there was a previous fetch hook in place that was more like async data and that it right. received context.
1: And that's what and I'm remembering as- is that context object that was available in fetch.
3: Exactly. So, yeah, we def- definitely need to make things a little bit clearer, I think, from time to time. But but yes, the new fetch is the is what I would use and use this in it. And, uh, and, and yes, as I said, I personally like the ergonomics of it. But you might have – I, I, I like also that you can use it in any component. So async data being available only within pages does um, have a sort of page spe- spe- page-centric page model of data. So you, you get all the data in your page, and you pass it down to all your, your components, which might be fine. But you might also want to have a more decentralized approach, and you might want to have components that – are responsible for the kind of data they get themselves, and and if you do have that more decentralized approach, then you don't want to try and abstract it away into the the page has got to somehow fetch it uh, and make and be responsible for for getting the data. So may, maybe you're you're not able to specify that in advance clearly enough. Maybe you have a dynamic page, maybe it has dynamic components. You, you don't want to be async data just wouldn't work for that.
1: You could also use that in Vuex, right? Get your data in Vuex, and then make it available to your pages from page components from there.
3: Yes, yes, exactly. That would be a different a different model. It's all about how decentralized versus centralized you are, I guess. Right. Cool.
0: Daniel, do you have any other points that you would like to go over? We're we're a little bit over our normal time, but there's so much here that we've been talking about. I want to make sure we cover everything
3: that you were wanting to cover. I I don't have a, a as you say. There is so much that one could talk about. I, I could I could be here all night. You could carry on for
0: quite some time as far as I'm concerned. Well, maybe we should schedule a part two then, have you come back in a bit. Agreed. That would be great. Awesome. That. Cool. Thank you so much for coming on, talking about all of this. We, I'm, I'm assuming Steve is. I am very excited for everything coming in next 3 and getting my hands on it myself. What's the release schedule look like?
3: So the, the, the best thing to do would, would be to check well, fo- follow, follow the Nuxt uh, Twitter account, because that's going to be uh, give sort of up-to-date information. But there'll be private alphas coming out of nux 3, including with with feet uh, and Nitro in this quarter. So quarter one, 2021. The public beta is going to be in quarter two. And then we're expecting to have a re- release candidate and have a stable release this year.
0: In and- when you say this year, is that the the View three this year, or is that the View three next year? Remember how with View three, <laughs> when they said it was going to come out, they said it was coming out in twenty twenty, and obviously twenty twenty happened. And we understand exactly that things can get delayed. But is it really going to be twenty twenty one, or is it probably twenty twenty two?
3: I think it's going to be twenty twenty one. Uh, so, I mean, don't hold me to it. But that's 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 what I think. Okay. The in, in terms of the the methodology, though. We don't want the objective isn't to hold te- the tech the cool tech away um, as long as possible. The objective is actually to bring the cool tech out so people can play with it sooner. So that, that's what we want. We want to get lots of public betas for lots of technologies rather than holding everything and making everybody wait for, for a longer period of time. So so yes, definitely, definitely stay in touch if you're interested in, in participating in private alphas or, or public betas or whatever. Drop me a line. Sounds good.
2: Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium.
0: Cool. At this point, we will move into picks. Picks are the part of the show where we share things that we like with the community. doesn't have to be tech-related. And today, let's start with Steve.
1: So I have one pick today, and it is one of the multiple weekly JavaScript-based newsletters that I get. It's called Bytes by You, and it's, written, it's done by a guy named Tyler McGinnis. The address for it where you can sign up for it is bytes.dev, B-Y-T-E-S.dev. I like it for a couple of reasons. One is you know, just the content. He puts some interesting content uh, to relevant stuff articles and and so on. But the other thing that I like about it is is having the sort of dry sense of humor that I do. I really really like the way he writes it. I usually get a laugh out of just about every uh, newsletter that he sends out. So anyway, the address bytes.dev and I'll put a link in the show notes to it Great thank you. I'm going to share a
0: potentially useful but mostly fun tool called flowchart.fun. So flowchart.fun is a flowchart builder where you can just start writing in kind of a list format the different nodes and they'll just as you indent your list it will start pointing at different nodes so if you just want a bunch of boxes that are not pointing at each other you just make a standard list but as you indent the first one box one will point to box two and so on and the nice thing is it's really easy to work with and also really easy to point boxes at arbitrary nodes so i i created a flow chart where i just tried to point everything at a single point, and it was pretty easy. So just something to experiment with, flowchart.fun. Not a lot of functionality, but it's kind of cool. You can also drag around the boxes if the layout that it provides isn't exactly what you want.
1: That name seems sort of like an oxymoron to me. Right? That's just based <laughs> on my experience with flowcharts. Well, this
0: this one is fun. Probably shouldn't be used for for too much serious work, but it's kind of cool.
3: Daniel, what pick do you have for us today? So. My top pick is a, a new app that I've been using, and uh, I love it. It's a video chat app called Around, and it's pitched as, as a video chat to get rid of video chat fatigue. Uh, so you, you get a colorful little orb um, with your face in it, and more colorful orbs with other people's faces. Um, you get your screen to yourself, so you can continue coding or whatever. It's really easy to have a shared notepad or share screens. Um, it feels feels really nice and effortless. It, it's definitely my, my go-to at the moment instead of Google Meet or Zoom or anything else. It it really feels nice. Try that. It's pretty cool. I also, I'm, I'm sure you've come across him before, but Josh uh, Gomo is a fantastic developer. Um, got some amazing tips in terms of, of CSS. I absolutely love reading them all. Uh, I definitely recommend him. And, and I just uh, and uh, finally, my
1: last pick of his was an article of his picked on CSS transitions. That was really good.
3: There's always something. He always has something to, to, to recommend. I think he's actually just recently released a new course, possibly even just today. And my, my final pick is is sort of rather personal. It's called road to free.me and it gives the dates when lockdown ends or loosens slightly in the UK, which is where I'm where I'm based. So it it means I can see what I'm allowed to do now and when when the bars start start weakening a little bit.
0: That sounds like a very useful website right now. Absolutely. I'm count, counting the days, or rather, it's counting them for me. Yeah, you don't even have to think about it. It's right there. Great. Daniel, where can people find you to continue this conversation and talk to you more about what you're doing at Nuxt and Nitro and all of the cool stuff coming out soon, or if they want to get
3: in on that uh, private alpha? So um, look me up on on Twitter. I'm also really active on the Nuxt uh, Discord, the to uh, invest help out as I can. I've got a, a website which is a little bit outdated in terms of blogs, but my ambition is to keep that uh, keep that up to date. So one of those places would be be great. And yeah, love to help if I can.
0: When when you say out of date,
3: or is it on Nuxt 0.1? Do <laughs> you do you know? It is possible now to, uh, to ha- have a look and see some of the ancient versions of Nux that people still have running in production uh, based on uh, NPM's new versioning scheme. So you can, can pull up the Nuxt package and you can see how many people in the last week downloaded Nuxt 0.9, for example. And it's probably more than you think. So uh, Nuxt 0.99 had 45 downloads, and, uh, and that tells you that someone's, someone's infrastructure is still running it. It's pretty impressive that it's still supporting
0: some active use. That's, that speaks well of Nuxt in general, right? Well,
3: I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not sure that I would particularly recommend using 0.99, but <laughs> that is kind of you to say. <laughs> cool.
0: Awesome. I hope everyone enjoyed this episode. Um, You can find us at viewsonview.com or at devchat.tv. We're also on Twitter at viewsonview. You can find myself on Twitter at Lindsay K. Wardell. And you can find Steve on Twitter at wonder95. Hope you enjoyed this and we'll see you again next week.
2: Adios. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.